Hi, it's Paul Camillos. Welcome to Series 5 of Shooting the Breeze. Join me and my co-host Jacinta Gavin as we talk to inspiring players, amazing coaches and the legends behind the scenes and at the grassroots of the game. This marks the start of our fourth year of covering women's hoops and women in hoops and throughout the series we welcome experts like Lyndon Moore from New Zealand and other special guests from across the world to get a global picture of the game. During this series, we'll take a closer look at the grassroots and the passionate people at the community level. And of course, the 30th edition of the FIBA Women's Asia Cup was recently held in Sydney, where the Opals took bronze and Asia's best players put on a show. Hit that subscribe button and to show your support, rate and leave us a review on iTunes so we reach more listeners. And that's the greatest thing about the BAL for her program. It's not just talk. It's us as a, a league and a continent putting our money where our mouth is. So I'm really proud to be part of this program. And, you know, Queen's seen a lot of different programs throughout her time as a journalist. And I think this is one of the first ones that's really walked the walk. Our latest Passport Pod is a double African special. We welcome back Shooting the Breeze regular, Coach Liz Mills, after a fantastic bowl tournament where her team from Cote d'Ivoire took part in their first bowl. And joining us for the first time, we have Queen John Masep. Queen is a highly regarded sports journalist from Nigeria who, alongside Coach Mills, is focusing attention on basketball across the continent. Both are actively involved with, and shining a light on, the Progressive Basketball Africa League, Emerging Female Basketball Talent, and Bal For Her, a fascinating initiative that runs in parallel to the tournament and aims to elevate women in hoops across Africa in all aspects of the game. This pod was a long time coming, with a few restarts due to technical issues and conflicting schedules. But now, post Bal, we're able to get this in the can and it was worth the wait. Both Queen and Liz are having a tremendous impact for women in hoops in Africa and beyond, as Coach Liz is currently coaching the under-23 Bal for Her women's team, representing nine African countries at the Global Jam in Toronto. It was great to get a glimpse of their respective journeys, how they overlap, and listen to their mutual appreciation and support at such an exciting time for African basketball. Enjoy. Welcome to Shooting the Breeze. Joining me and my co-host Jacinta Govind, we have got Queen John Masep from Lagos in Nigeria and Coach Liz Mills, who's just got back to Australia after the bow. Welcome to the show. It's great to have you both here. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Great to be back on the show with you and Jacinta, Paul. Always a pleasure. Oh, it's our pleasure. We can't wait to talk about the bow, the bow for her, basketball in, in Africa. Um, there's a lot going on and we want to we wanna know as much as we can find out about it. Now, first of all, I have to congratulate you both on the bow. For you, Liz, with the performance that the ABC Fighters had and Queen, for your reporting from, from the bow as well. Thank you. Well, thank you very much. Um, 
Look, uh, we were very proud of our performance in terms of this was our debut season in the BAL and we went up against a powerhouse Angolan club team, Petro de Luanda, um, but we were the only all-African team in playoffs and so we were really proud of the team we put together. We had some of the best talent from the continent on display and, you know, Angola are always going to be able to put in an amazing team as well. And a lot of people have said since that basically it was the game of the playoffs. Um, we put everything we had on the floor and even though we couldn't get the win, ended up losing by four, we returned back to Abidjan in Cote d'Ivoire with our heads held high, but very motivated to come back next season. Yeah, i got to say, I, I actually sat down to watch part of the game again today and oh. it reminded me exactly how fast and how fast paced the game was particularly the first quarter it was just go 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 and it didn't really dial down too much for the rest of the game anyway well that was one of our specific plans of attack um, the angolans are a little bit older than us and we knew that if we could push the pace get some baskets in transition it was interesting to see really that the referees really slowed the game down for us in the in the second half allowing a little bit more contact after rebounding which meant it was harder for us to get the ball out in transition um, which helped the angolans but you know, they're a, an extremely experienced team, really well coached, so they managed to tackle that a bit better in the second half. But African basketball is exciting like that. It's rarely, you know, slow and plodding. It's always fast-paced, a lot of athleticism on, on display, a lot of talent on display, and that's why the BAL is such a great league to watch. Yeah, I've got to say, when I was watching it, our producer Mary actually was saying, this seems to be really fast-paced. And she asked me, you know, what do you think of this compared to the NBA? Look, to be honest, my opinion, it's a whole lot more fun to watch. Oh, look, um, NBA is obviously the greatest athletes in basketball play in that league. But even sometimes for me, it's all about depending on the team that you're watching. If you mm. want, to, want to see someone dribble 5,000 times, NBA is perfect. If you want to see one pick and roll, NBA is perfect. You want to see, you know, four people basically working for one person, NBA is perfect. And so for me, uh, I much more prefer European basketball um, and African basketball where it's a lot more team orientated. Is African basketball more typically fast paced or more typically physical, given that it sounds like you had two different types of games in one in your um, match you're talking about? Yes. So, like, look, the older, more experienced teams um, want to play at a slower pace and really out-execute you. And whereas, you know, these younger teams such as like Estade Mali in, from Mali and ABC from Abidjan, we're a bit younger, um, a little bit more athletic. So we want to utilise that and so we play at a higher pace. And then, you know, it's really about what works for your team. Um, the Tunisians, for example, aren't as athletic, same with the Egyptians. So they're going to slow the pace down. But all in all, yeah, it is a physical league and it's something that players from overseas have to adjust to. But it's all within the rules. It's nothing dirty or anything like that. They just, you know, they're going to let you know when you come down the floor that they're there. So I want to ask Queen, from the point of view of somebody who was reporting on the bow, how did you find the competition, and particularly from your perspective, that game between Petro and ABC Fighters? 
Wow, that was um, an explosive game, very, very explosive. And I'll say uh, it's more of like a very good advert for Africa basketball. I thought what I saw between Petro de Luanda and um, Yes, Alali, uh, the Nile Conference was um, something to take home. But I think the game between Petro and ABC took it a bit higher. Uh, that was like a game that should have been a game of the finals. It was even more competitive and at top level than what we saw between Alali and the Senegalese team as one. So, but I was expecting sort of a final, or will I say sort of a quarterfinal, because of the two coaches involved, Coach Liz and also the other coach, um, Yoseneto, two top basketball coaches who know what to do on court, who understand the game and who understand how to make use of their players so well. So I was expecting that game to be explosive, but at that level, oh no, they gave us a game to watch. It was a game, a game of the century, I'll tell you. It was a game of the century and it went down the wire. <laughs> it went down. I appreciate that, Queen. Yeah, it went down the wire and um, I was just all over the place because Oh, it hurt. You it know, hurt. It was going to hurt you. I know it was going to hurt you. And I was rooting for Coach Liz to go all the way because that meant it's so much pleasure to go all the way. And then looking at how Petro also fell by the wayside, they, they couldn't even get to the final. So it, it was even more painful that um, they ended up defeating Coach Liz's team and could even make the final, which was even worse of all. So, but it was a disappointing one uh, not to see Coach Liz in the semis and then the final. But I think for neutrals who came to watch on that particular day, they went back home fulfilled because fulfilled that we have such a huge game from the African basketball scene, from the African basketball perspective. As Africans, we are seeing Africans play so well. And for a team who are an all-African team, majorly African players on the team, you could say that it was sort of an advert, a platform to advertise the kind of qualities they have, the talent they do have. So in general, for Coach Lees as well, for Coach Neto, also Petro Dulu, it was good advert for basketball and they gave us something to take back home and um, for the fact that the players had to make sure they were on top of their game they almost nicked it abc almost nicked it i would say coach Liz, um maybe that two two free throws should have just gone in <laughs> it should have gone in anytime i remember that game i'll be like oh free throw should have gone in it should have oh maybe a more experienced player uh, maybe if uh oh, oh, look and the Musa Kone is only, <laughs> yeah, look, he's he's a 22-year-old. Yeah, it was I his guess. first time on a big stage. And, you know, ask, asking him to win us that game was a little bit beyond him. But he has worked on his free throws since then a lot. <laughs> so I'm sure it's something he will never forget. Yeah, it's, it's a game you would never forget, definitely. And I've got to say, you could see the intensity building as the game went on. Right, and particularly every so often the the telecast would do a cutaway mm -hmm. to you, Liz, and you could just see on your face how it was just slowly <laughs> kind of cranking up. And I thought, this is you know you can see it's having like an effect on everybody there on the bench as well. It, like you could see everybody was willing those balls to go in. It really was. I think it was one of the yeah. best games I've seen for a long time. Well, thank you. I really appreciate that. And to be honest, we we love the support that we get from not only our fans in Cote d'Ivoire, but 
from all around Africa and all around the world. And even, you know, when we step in after the game and we, we have journalists such as Queen there, the support we get from even BAL staff who are manning the bench or, you know, security people, everybody was rooting for us. So we did feel like we let a lot of people down. But on the other hand, we hope we made them proud with our performance. And we've got some fans for life that hopefully next season, if, you know, I'm with ABC, that we can, you know, win the title and they can be part of that journey again next year with us. As what was the response like in Abidjan? Oh, oh look, we when we flew home, everybody was really proud. And Queen can tell you this, um, we were written off. Yeah, they were I just wanted to add that I, I like the fact that you gave that game a good fight. You gave it all you've got, uh, you know, as much as you still lost, but you gave it everything. You put everything on the floor. Um, considering where you're coming from and where you are right now, you came from a club, we didn't give you a chance. Um, they didn't even give you a free will to walk. They didn't give you the opportunity to have the players that you wanted to work with or even uh, the game itself. You They made up of players that you didn't even want on your team. At the end of the day, um, AS Ali didn't even come out strong like expected so considering where you were coming from the previous season to this season i think it's now it's not like prove a point that coach lee should not be written off any team coach lee's is coaching should always be a team to tip it should be a team should always look that would go really really far so i think that game enough despite the fact that you lost that game it really proved to a whole lot of fans a lot of neutrals wouldn't believe in you wouldn't believe that a woman could take a team as far as the quarterfinals or even the semi-final so in as much as yes the player inexperience played a role i want to assume you actually made the semis if not for that um few mistakes towards the end of the game so i think this alone is aside from the fact that is um advert for african basketball for you as a woman for you as a coach in africa it's now builds the opportunity and opens opportunity for more women to also have that um way to get into the bal or to get coach um, basketball clubs in africa or even in their club side in, in their countries. So they would have the opportunity to depend or to rely on women coaches. So this is an avenue to all the women coaches who wouldn't believe in themselves to have that belief. So I also want to use this opportunity to say ABC or Cote d'Ivoire really gave you that platform. And I'm so grateful they did that because something Morocco couldn't do, Cote d'Ivoire has done it. Exactly. And look, like I was saying, um, you know, Queen can tell you the same thing is that in terms of how people ranked quarterfinals, Petro was supposed to beat us by 20 points. No one had us competing with them at all. It was sort of like a Kenya situation. No one thought we were going to beat Angola and qualify for Afro basket. And I love, I love that position. I love being written off. And so we were like everybody said to us after you guys need to keep run this back keep them together because you know you do that you're going to seriously contend for the title and this is a team that's only had one year experience in the bal and so we got a lot of positive feedback that we're very happy to hear and again, Coach Liz, let me just give you an insight to what happened to the media room. Just an insight to what happened in the media room. I think we're making an argument and we're like, Petro, ABC, uh, no, no, Petro is going to win, just like you said, over 20 points. And I told them, I said, I wish we were going to record this. Coach Liz is not going to go down without a fight. She's going to put everything on the floor. <laughs> they were like, Queen, why, why are you so much into Coach Liz? I said, she's not going to give that team just away. She's going to put everything, I mean everything. So for each 
quarter they came to me to make queen what is your girl doing on the floor <laughs> i'll be like i told you <laughs> see this is why queen and i get on so well because we back each other up all the time i want to come to a media room with you queen one day oh, oh yeah. honestly you both should come to the media room because like Win or lose, we have such a great time. I love our press conferences. You should. You should. You should. <laughs> I, I want to ask something about. We will. We we will. We've got to. We've got to organise one of those. A trip to Africa. But one of the things I was really curious about is how the crowds were also getting into these games, and particularly that that game between Petro and, and ABC. It's not something we get to see here in Australia. We don't get to see crowds getting into the game the way they do at the BAL or in other African games. How do you feel when you've got you know the crowd getting right into the game the way they do when you're there and you're playing? Oh, look, I, I love it. Um, having you know been to some tournaments during COVID and there was no crowds and no media, it was like being in a zombie dead zone. So um, now that we've got crowds coming back, we didn't have as many as bigger crowds in last season, but now that you know all the COVID restrictions are pretty much out of the way, it was great. It was a great example of African people showing how much they're getting into the sport and how much they're willing to support it. And what was even more beautiful is that you can have, like Queen was saying, someone who's neutral, like a Rwandese watching that Angolan versus ABC game, and now they can pick a team and th they can pick an allegiance and they're just there enjoying the game. Often before something like BAL or before FIBA restructured the national team schedules, we would often get just, you know, Angolan supporters and Ivorian supporters. And what's great is clubs are also big on bringing their own supporters, be that from Angola or Cote d'Ivoire, but also Ivorians and Angolans in Rwanda. And that's bringing an entire community back together. And so it's really beautiful to watch. And, you know, Queen could probably give you some more insights. Uh, I, she was able to sit courtside and get in amongst the crowd as well. Yeah, and, and Queen, I'd like to hear hear from you about that because watching a game again today, and one of the things that I actually noticed more this time was the crowd didn't seem to sit down for the whole game. They were up, they were dancing, they were getting into it, the decisions, they were making their opinions on the decisions known. It looked like the crowd was having way more fun than we see a lot of basketball crowds do. Um, I think aside the COVID restrictions that uh, Coach Lee's just mentioned and basketball is coming back to normal, uh, Rwanda is becoming a basketball culture. There's this culture taking place in Rwanda now. So it's now a tourist destination. Aside being a tourist destination, they are kind of infusing basketball into tourism, whereby you can come watch basketball as well as tour Rwanda. And they have so many tourist places to look out, just like in Australia. 
Australia, you do have tourist places to look out for. So Rwanda also has it. And so it's an opportunity for them. They are hosting the BAL and they know they'll, they'll have a lot of visitors from across the world come watch the BAL. So why not we create this avenue of entertainment and basketball? I know we see that in the NBA, we see a lot of entertainment, but this is quite different because they don't get to see this all through the year. So the BAL month is sort of a week where it's an opportunity for them to come watch their best of stars perform as well as basketball stars and all of that. So for the Rwanda fans, it's entertainment for them, both on the court and off the court. And that's why he saw that they were enjoying themselves. And it is a week filled with basketball games, with a lot of activities on the court and also outside of the court. So outside the court, they're all fanfare. They also have a fan park. So it's all entertainment in one. And that is why the the fans just see it as an opportunity to come there and have fun. So it's not just coming to watch the basketball side of it. They're also coming to get entertained. And it's a full package, right? When you talk about it, you know, the, the entertainment package, I'm guessing there's activities going on outside the BK arena as well? Yeah, yeah, they have a fan park outside here. Yeah, fan park where you can play a bit of basketball around. You can play games. They have um, a DJ. They have music ongoing. You can play some games. You can play some board games. So a whole lot of activities. You can buy food stuff. You can buy food to eat, drinks, and all that. So it's a whole lot of stuff outside the BK arena. So outside of that, you get to get that. Then inside the arena, you still have the basketball to get you entertained and also at halftime or maybe at timeouts you have some entertainment in between to get you entertained so you don't have your ticket just being exploited like that is a full package for fans coming to watch so when you're coming to watch a basketball game you know what you're coming in for are you coming for the outside event or the outside activities or you're coming for what is happening on court so all of this are all put together as entertainment for Rwanda fans especially not forgetting that we also have fans who are coming from outside the Rwanda, we want to make it a fulfilled one for the week before returning to their respective countries. Well, it sounds, I mean, it seems to me that that the BAL has really worked on making it a true entertainment package for across the whole BAL. Now, one of the other things I noticed during the game was that both teams were wearing Bell for her shirts on the bench. Yeah. I'd like to get a bit more information about Balfour and what that program's all about. Queen, do you want to answer first? Okay. Um, okay, let me go first because um, I think I was privileged to take part in the BL for her in Kigali this time around. Or like in Dakar when we had the first tape, uh, taping, I, I didn't uh, get involved so much. Kotlis was um, among the panelists. But this time around, um, from the Dakar, they had um, the BL for her is majorly a mentorship program where young girls would learn from different people from the industry, from the sport industry. It could be coaches, it could be administrators, it could be marketing, the marketing department operations, it could be from journalists and like you and I. So irrespective of the industry or the sectors they come out from or they belong, good group of girls would uh, pick a an area of interest where they belong. And then there'll be group sessions, there'll be um, panel sessions on different topics on those areas. Like in Dakar, we had Coach Liz talk about her journey in basketball, how she started. And then she also gave advice to the young girls. These young girls are maybe from high school or those ones just getting into college or out of college, searching for jobs who are still job hunting or girls who are just getting into college. So 
these are the age bracket like from 18 to about maybe almost 25 27 i think that's the age bracket most of the time we get to see then in kigali aside from the fact that we had panel sessions for these ladies they were up to like 30 or 40 participants who came for uh, the bl for her in rwanda they also had camps there were camps for basketball they were trained and they had coaches come train them come talk to them about basketball for those of them who had interest in playing basketball uh, we also had different sectors the ones that were interested in joining the media space the ones interested in joining journalism social media content creation um operations coaching and the rest marketing they had different sectors they had panel sessions for these girls and at the end of the day like the one that took place in kigali uh they took the girls to uh, a crane's village cranes that's a um, group of beds in rwanda right there and afterwards they were asked to plant a tree so i was able part of there we planted a tree on that particular day so it's basically for young girls to grow mentorship uh, mentoring those girls and see how they can follow up with their mentors and then also get career opportunities from this so this is what the bl4i is all about and also encourage girls that they could do it they could also be a part of the bal like the bl gives gives opportunity to, to women like coach lee is a coach of the ba one of bal teams they have different women in different sectors the operations uh, management media just like in usher who is the commentator for the bal so different sectors where women operate so these girls can emulate from these mentors and these women and they can also be like them or even do better than them and what's really exciting about this program is that for the first time there's going to be a bal for her team competing in the Basketball Canada Global Jam, which is an under-23 national team tournament that Basketball Canada puts on the same time as Summer League in July. And so we're going to see a BAL men's under-23 team, but also a BAL for her under-23 women's team. And so this will be a very exciting tournament because I will be head coaching the women's team for BAL for her. And it's going to be the first time in 12 years that I'm coaching a women's team and the first time that I am ever coaching an African women's team. So I'm really excited about the opportunity. And um, this stems from the great work that BAL has done in promoting this program as Queen said, obviously, you know, women across the entire ecosystem, but also for other female athletes. Obviously, this is a men's league, but BAL has done an amazing job to incorporate women at all levels in the league as well. And this will be a great opportunity for these young women to represent Africa at the Global Jam in Canada next month. So it sounds like a very strong effort, A, get women more involved in basketball, but also creating pathways to keep them involved as well, which is always a big topic of conversation, especially in the last 12 months when we've gone to the She Hoops events or the events at uh, the FIBA Women's World Cup last year. Um, so it sounds like the BAL and BAL for her is actually putting some of that talk into action. Exactly, Jacinta, because how often have we sat in rooms where everybody's like, oh, we're going to do this, this and this, but we know we haven't seen it actioned. And that's the greatest thing about the BAL for Her program. It's not just talk. It's us as a, a league and a continent putting our money where our mouth is. So I'm really proud to be part of this program and, you know, Queen's seen 
a lot of different programs throughout her time as a journalist. And I think this is one of the first ones that's really walked the walk. And remind us when uh, the tournament is on in Canada that you'll be coaching at. Yeah, so it's going to be the 12th to the 16th of July. On the men's side, it's Canada, Germany, and I think Puerto Rico and the BAL team. And then on the women's side, we've got Team Canada, Puerto Rico, Louisville is representing Team USA, and then BAL for her. So games on the 12th, 13th, and then 15th and 16th. I hope that it's televised in some way, like even if it's on YouTube, because um, some um, of the dates clash with uh, the Under-19 Women's World Cup. I know, I know. So, yeah, I think it's all on YouTube. I will let you know as soon as I find out more details, though. Now, just going back one second, you're, you're coaching a women's team. <laughs> no, you're not. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I'd sneak that in. Now, um, how are you feeling about that? Because, like you said, it's been been a long time since you've coached a, a women's team. Well, it's pretty funny because I've had two WNBL teams approach me for the upcoming season to work with them. And it was pretty easy decision to say not right now, um, but I was very appreciative of them even thinking of me. But it was an easy decision to do this because I've never really had an opportunity to work with African women um, and I've been so caught up on the men's side that this is a great opportunity for me to give back to all the women who have supported me in Africa. But I am very nervous. I've spoken to a lot of, uh, of my female friends who are coaches who work with senior women's teams like Renee Garlop, who's currently assistant coach with the Opals and obviously New South Wales on a 20 state team. She and I caught up last week and I was like, what do I do? <laughs> like I've never coached before. Like, so, you know, she really gave me some great advice and all these women uh, playing in division one colleges in the U S have played at, you know, under 19 world cup or played for their, you know, African national teams. So they're all elite players and, you know, I'm sure it's going to be an amazing experience and I can't wait to meet them all in person. I imagine when you asked Renee, what do I do? Her response would have been, what do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> she no she she says the same thing to me like in terms of like coaching men she's like I don't know how you get up and do it and so you know she's so such a capable coach she can coach anyone and I'm just so glad that she's got this opal position she's the perfect person to really step into that pathway and so actually it was more just about how I communicate and how I build relationships with these women, especially in terms of I hadn't really thought about how intimidating I would be towards them. And so I've really made a concerted effort to reach out and connect. Even before we get to Canada, I've set up all these Zoom meetings, one-on-one -on -one and team meetings, just so that we're really well prepared because we have such a short period. And I'm also going to probably have to... Um, lighten my touch when it comes to delivery of instructions and setting expectations because I have an extensive vocabulary that might not be appreciated by young women. No, surely not. <laughs> and sometimes be prepared for the, uh, you know, you give an instruction and a, but what if this happens? And what if this happens? And it's like... <sighs> 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, well, I've also like in terms of like what kind of sets can I use because I don't watch a lot of women's basketball. So like there's some standard sets that we would use on the men's side, you know, like horns and diamond in Africa. And so I'm like, well, what do they run on the women's side? And actually, I should talk to Queen. Queen, we need to have an offline conversation um, and just get a better understanding of the trends. Like, for example, Renee was like, women can't break down their defender one-on-one. -on -one. They need picks in the offense to be able to do that. And I'm like, oh, okay. And so, you know, or I've got plays that end with a dunk. And so I'm like, okay, let, let's have a look at how we can redo some of these things. But the women's game is different. It doesn't mean that it's not as good. And I'm really excited to get the opportunity to, to, you know, put my foot back in the water for this guest coaching. And, you know, maybe it inspires me to come back to women's basketball later down the track. Something else I wanted to ask you about, Liz. When we first talked to you and had you on the pod, back a few seasons ago, there was very little media interest in what you were doing in Africa. And sorry, I'm speaking of in Australia. One of the things I've noticed recently, particularly maybe over the last six to eight months or so, is that seems to have turned around. There seems to now be a lot more interest in what you've been doing over in Africa. How do you feel about the fact that people are just starting to realise what you've done? Having coached in Africa and immersed myself in Africa for so long, I wasn't ever really perplexed about why the Australian media didn't pay attention to me because I'm very well aware of the boys club that exists in Australia. Because they couldn't say that I was one of their own, um, it didn't surprise me that I didn't necessarily get the media coverage that I did elsewhere. And that's also because Africa is an unknown to a lot of Australian players, coaches, even the federation. And so it was kind of like, well, what's she doing? What's the competition like there? And it was just a lack of understanding and a bit of naivety around, you know, the leagues in Africa. And so it's not necessarily their fault. A lot of Australians don't coach or play in Africa. And so it never really bothered me because the only um, people I really embraced in terms of media was Africans because they've embraced me so well over 12 years that as long as I'm promoting Africa and Africans appreciate what I'm doing, I'm happy in that bubble. And sure, it was great when, you know, ESPN, BBC or whoever come knocking because that allows me to shine a spotlight further on African basketball. But, you know, in Europe and North America, there's so many Africans, you know, competing or coaching in basketball leagues in those continents so it makes sense for them to have more interest in in what's happening in africa but look i think um i've been a lot more embraced in australia australia like you said over the last six months i think it has a lot to do with lauren jackson who's reached out to me and uh, you know I've, I've done an interview for she hoops um, i was part of the fiba women's world cup panel and you know i've made a concerted effort to reach out to more female coaches here through the Global Women in Basketball Coaching Network. So I think it's a two-way street. I wasn't really phased about whether they were paying attention to me or not, but as they kind of clued in on what was happening, let's just say we've got more of an olive branch situation. <laughs> <laughs> but, and I think, you know, as long as I have people like Queen in my corner, other African journalists who have done an amazing job covering my career and the teams that I've worked with, uh, like, 
to be honest, I couldn't care less um, about what else is going on. If someone wants to reach out and it's a great platform to speak about basketball and, you know, the real issues in our sport like gender equality and social activism, then I'm more than happy to jump on their uh, podcast, interview, whatever, be that in Australia, you know, Europe, North America, wherever. And how is the program going? Because it's probably, what, uh, 12 months old now? Yeah, so we're 12 months in. We've got about 550 members now, and we've probably held about eight webinars during that time for where our leadership coaches have spoken about on-court or off-court basketball skills. And, you know, we're getting great participation in those webinars and the recordings are being viewed. And it's really just about Vic and I trying to figure out how we can improve engagement. You know, I think it's so systemic that female coaches don't necessarily feel like they can speak up or they're happy just to, you know, sit back and learn without actively engaging. And so we're trying to think of new ways to continue to improve that so that we can get more transfer of knowledge between, you know, say a French coach, an Australian coach, a Nigerian coach or a Canadian coach and how we can promote that a bit more in the next 12 months. But overall, like we're really happy to have had so many members and uh, we've got so many great coaches in there. It's actually really amazing. And some of the insights and solutions that we've been discussing have been led to great discussions. There's a lady I play against on uh, Tuesday Night Social Comp who is also part of it, which mm -hmm. I think is re really cool for the sense of reach because it's someone who I only met from playing Social Comp. I noticed they started to come to our local NBL1 games and it turns out they, uh, they're they the head coach of the under-14 men twos or threes. And I was like, oh, you should join this. And she goes, oh, no, I'm all over it. So <laughs> the reach Love it. has been pretty impressive. Love it. One of the things that I'm kind of curious about is what's the involvement of women in basketball, not not just in the in the coaching roles, uh, but all other roles within the sport, and that includes you know journalism as well. How's that playing out across the continent? And I might throw that one over to you, Queen, first. I think it's it's quite good um, compared to what we've had. Um... 10 years ago, 20 years ago, um, might just see a ratio of um, 20 to 1, that's years ago. But now we could see a ratio of maybe um, in 10, you could see 3. I still feel there's so much work to be done in terms of interest into um, the sporting industry as well as journalism in Africa. I still feel more women need to be encouraged to get them because they need their voices to be heard. They need to come out more, of which um, I'll say that's one sort of a challenge for African women always um some are timid some are shy some don't want to come out but i think as the year is going by education information um is gradually growing and more women are beginning to understand the reason why they should come out why they should talk why they, their voices need to be heard why they should also sit at the same table as the men why they should also take part why they should also be involved in activities especially in sport so but i think it's fair enough now 
like I mentioned earlier, we have um, Osha as a BL commentator um, into journalism media space. We also have other women like the BL. I'll use the BL as an example. They have women in operations, women in the marketing department, women taking charge of administration, different section or different sectors of the BAL. We have women in in the various sectors of the BAL, we, we always have women. Women are all over the place. Even in terms of production, we have women as well. We In security, we have women as well. So but I think opportunities are there for women to come in to take it. Fair enough. It's fair. That's what I will use. But I still feel that more women should be encouraged to get in. They need to be heard. They need to come out more. They need to come talk more. They need their voices to be heard. So I'll just use fair enough. It's fair enough as we speak. But I think African women can really do better. And um, I think that's more reason why the BL for her is there to give me um, sort of an advocacy for women to come out more, to come talk more, to come and take part, to come and participate more, not just sit and watch, not just be a watcher, but be a participant. So that's that's the way it is right now in Africa. Yes, I couldn't agree more with you, Queen, I think. Um, but what's also added to an increase in participation is the visible role models. Um, you know, like last year we had Coach Caddy was the assistant coach for AS Duans and the BAL. We obviously have Queen representing journalists. Usher is the commentator. Sarah is a great person from London who's head of the NBA International Security Department. Um, we've got table officials, our commissioners are females, our referees are females, but it is a very unique environment and it doesn't reflect what we see in national team competitions or road to BAL competitions. So the BAL is very much leading the way for Africa. And if anything, it's actually leading the way for any professional league in the world. But what we need to see more is grassroots development of, you know, women to be able to participate not only as coaches officials referees but on the management side and it's up to federations to provide those opportunities but if women don't know about these opportunities or don't feel encouraged to participate that's where we're going to see a decline in participation and so uh, we all know that FIBA, one of FIBA's pillars is women in basketball and so it's up to these federations to honor that mandate and not only just talk about it, but actually provide programs or training courses, whatever it may be, to engage more women in Africa across the entire ecosystem of basketball. And like Queen said, yes, the BAL is the shining light, but there's still so much work to be done. I mean, just imagine how much more impactful it would be if there was an African woman coaching one of these men's teams. And to put a timeline on those initiatives too, like a target, uh -huh. um, you know, yeah, I think sometimes it's great to have those things thought about and on paper. But um, from memory, I can't really remember how many of them have, you know, by this date, this is the increase in engagement we want to see or whatever. I don't know if they have a measurable outcome. Um, I, those. I actually don't think they do, Jacinta. I think um, because it's still such an early initiative, because it's only 2019 that they put this um, mandate in at, at the FIBA level. So, you know, we're four years gone, but two years, almost three years of that was COVID. So I think, you know, come the next four years when they, they come together to plan that, 
I would, like you said, I would love to see some numbers and some targets that every federation has to reach. I mean, like you, we look at, you know, the FIBA Eurobasket for women that just kicked off. There are three teams in that women's Eurobasket that don't have any female coaches, any female coaches. There's only four teams that have, that have female head coaches. Twelve of those teams have male head coaches. And this is 2023. That's not good enough. But that also is a reflection that we don't necessarily, there hasn't been a pipeline that has allowed women to progress in those countries to that elite level. And that's why I'm saying all the time, we have to develop the grassroots first. We have to develop a base so that we can get women going all the way through the pathway. Based off of that, what do you think is probably the the one thing that could be done to be able to try and boost that? When you say grassroots, like what specifically do you think could be done to be able to really get that to kickstart? Oh, yeah, what can be done to kickstart that? Well, look, it's a complex question. Uh, it starts with FIBA setting those mandates. It starts with federations developing programs. It starts with, you know, the Ministry of Sport in these countries providing proper funding for these federations as well. In Africa, it's, it's a complex ecosystem where they rely heavily on government sponsorship. In some countries, that's the only sponsorship they're allowed at the national team level. They're not allowed to look for outside sponsors. And so it's hard to develop programs when you lack funding. Um, but also it's about getting basketball in schools and starting early. And that's, you know, promoting basketball for boys and girls at a young age and also identifying, you know, referees, coaches, officials, etc., at a young age as well and, and developing like we do with long-term athlete development. There needs to be long-term coach development, long-term referee development. All these programs need to be implemented, but Fundamentally, you need to have someone in, in these federations has to want to develop basketball. And unfortunately, Queen can talk to this as well if she feels comfortable. Yeah, a lot of the time, federations in Africa are not run by the appropriate people that should be developing the game in those countries. A lot of these people are elected for power, prestige and money, um, and they have no interest in developing the game. And that's what's like administration of the sport is what's hampering the development on the continent. And people say sport isn't political, right? <laughs> Understatement of the century. <laughs> so I, I actually want to ask Queen a question here. You've been a basketball journalist for quite some time. Where did you learn to, to love basketball? Wow. Okay. Um, like in Africa? Africa, our major sport, or let's say our first sport is, is football, or what Americans call soccer. It's always, um, that's like a number one sport in Africa. Basketball is like number two. I don't know if all the countries, but in Nigeria, football is first, then basketball second. So, but I started off with loving football. I think for me, I've always had that basketball on my face, but never for once wanted to have that interest in basketball. So, but I think it started off for me when... When I was back then still working on radio as a radio presenter in 2013, 2014, I think the interest started off with the Golden State Warriors. They sort of had that, um, I just sort of liked the team, like 
who is this team? Like, where are they coming from? All of a sudden, strength in numbers and all the way to the 2015 championship within it with Steph Curry. So I, I picked the interest from them based on how they played together, the teamwork, the team chemistry, and how they were able to shoot the ball. I was like, wow, this sports kind of look interested. <laughs> so I think that was where the interest started off because of the Golden State Warriors, but I've always loved Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan has always been our faces. Kobe Bryant has always been our faces. LeBron James has always been our faces. But um, majorly, loving basketball started off with loving the Golden State Warriors and how they play, how they shoot the ball. But bringing it locally, following the game, was um, was in 2015 when I'm the media manager for River Supers. That's one of the teams who went to the BAL in the first season from Nigeria. So, but it started off with when they wanted, they, they went to relegation and they were coming back on relegation, game promotion, and they needed to be on the spotlight. They needed more positive um, media. They needed to be in the faces of people because they were two-time champion of Nigeria. So imagine the two-time champion of the country going down relegation because of financial reasons, like what Coach Lee's mentioned federation problem administration problem corruption problem is always a big issue in africa so but putting the right people right there it's always a big problem so they had financial issues they couldn't continue they couldn't uh, sponsor or like say fund the club like should be run and they went to relegation so imagine a two-time champion of the league coming back from relegation so they needed more publicity they needed more positive publicity they needed to be out there that they are back and they are ready to compete as much as all the other teams so they needed someone in the media space so i got in and um, applied for the job and i got the role from there the interest of the building and you know when you're in, in the midst of um you're just the only one who is basically a football person and you're in the midst, in the midst of 12, 13 players who are basketball players, basketball coaches. You end up, you just have to blend. You just have to join them. So each, every, every game we go for away games, we play home games. I get to hear and see them talk about basketball. I go to training sessions. So from there, the culture grew for me. I loved it more. I saw reasons why this sport should be loved more, why this sport should be given more attention. Is not given as much as attention as football does. So the love for the game started more from it. I learned more from it because when they are talking, they talk about the NBA, they talk Euro basketball. So it was like I had to mingle. I just couldn't be left out. So I had to learn more from them. Also going to the training session, so going for games. So I think that was how the interest built for me. And funny enough, I even didn't know how to write a basketball report at that point. So I had to learn on the job. It was as bad as that. I had to learn on a job. Not like someone had to teach me. I had to read more of um, basketball reports from the NBA, from Yahoo Sports, from the ESPN. I had to read a whole lot. Like I was I was a student all over again. So I think that was where the love grew. And then I also spotted the fact that um, there were not too many basketball journalists in Nigeria. There were majorly more football and um, less of basketball. So I took it as a decision for myself. I said, okay, I think this is a niche I can build for myself. I know, yes, I started off as a sports journalist doing a whole lot. If you're a radio presenter in Nigeria, you're expected to know like eight or seven different kind of sports or have an idea of different kind of sports because you're feeding a lot of audience 
somebody and say, Lord, others are listening to you. So I said this time around, and uh, good for me, I switched from being a radio presenter to writing to digital. So I think that alone, I had to now streamline myself to basketball reporting. So I said, okay, I think there is a niche missing. There are not too many basketball journalists in Nigeria. And even for women, we don't have a woman covering basketball alone. We just have too many sport journalists who are just doing a bit of everything, but we don't have one doing basketball. So I said, okay, this is a platform for me to build on. And I think it started off for me in 2016. And here I am today. So that was how it started for me. And I loved it. I built a culture for myself, built a pathway for myself. And I saw reasons why I should stay on it. And I think it's, it's been worth it. Uh, look, from our perspective, I mean, I, and I'm not going to speak for Jacinta, but I certainly really enjoy going through your reporting on basketball and particularly at the Bowl. And so, you know, quite honestly, I think you do a fantastic job. And obviously that's been recognised by the fact that you've been nominated uh, as Nigerian basketball media personality. Queen, did we lose you? I think we did. I definitely voted for her, that's for sure. (laughs) Yes, you're back. (laughs) Have we lost Queen again? I think so. Um, So, guys, it's been great having you on, on the show. As always, Liz, it's it's great hearing from you and hearing what's happening over in Africa. I think there's a lot more that we're going to be seeing coming out from Africa. I think we're going to be seeing a lot more players getting recognised on the global stage. And I think you're also doing a lot in terms of, of raising that profile and certainly here in Australia because people are taking notice of what you're doing and what you've achieved over there. And I really want to thank you both for being on the show. It's always great having you here. Well, likewise to you, Mary and Jacinta, who have done such an amazing job, not only promoting basketball in Australia, but especially women in basketball. And I've always loved the appreciation and love that you've shown to African basketball. And so thank you for, again, having me on the show and, as always, appreciate the support. No worries. And we're looking forward to seeing how things work out for you over in Canada. And maybe, you know, with any luck, we'll see you perhaps at the Asia Cup. Potentially, if I'm in the country. (laughs) Okay. Thank you both. Thank you. Shooting the Breeze can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. Don't forget to subscribe and share the podcast with all your friends.